From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is Battleground Ballot Box. I'm Stephen Fowler, and for the first time in a long time, election season in Georgia is over. ABC News can now project that Senator Raphael Warnock will reclaim his seat there. News projects Democratic incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock has defeated his Republican challenger, Herschel Walker. CNN projects Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock will win re-election in the Georgia Senate runoff, defeating Republican challenger Herschel Walker. Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock won a full six-year term to the Senate by defeating Herschel Walker in a sprint to the finish that was not without controversy and lawsuits. Democrats are suing Georgia's Secretary of State tonight. It's an effort to secure early voting on a Saturday for the upcoming U.S. Senate runoff race. The four-week runoff, shortened by the sweeping 2021 election law SB202, came on the heels of a decisive victory for Republicans led by incumbent Governor Brian Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger over Democrats who hoped for better results. It is good to be here in this moment, surrounded by your love and support. And let me begin by offering congratulations to Governor Brian Kemp. Through it all, Georgia has emerged an even bigger political battleground state heading into 2024. From Democrats seeking to elevate the state and presidential primary politics to Republicans plotting a potential post-Trump playbook, the Peach State is still a dominant force in the discussion of who we vote for and how those votes are counted. This week, in our final regular episode, we look at the biggest developments in the past, present, and future of Georgia politics. When this podcast first started in late September 2020, we promised to walk you through the good, bad, and complicated mechanics of voting and elections in Georgia. Over the last two years, I've interviewed dozens upon dozens of elections officials, voters, and candidates, sat through countless court hearings, traveled every corner of the state to cover campaign events, and even sat through training as a poll worker. And let me tell you, a lot has changed since then. In early 2020, the largest ever rollout of new voting equipment was completed just weeks before the coronavirus pandemic devastated the world and cast the state of elections into chaos. Chaos in Georgia. Some voters waited for hours to cast ballots in yesterday's primary elections. Georgia is a battleground this year. The largest rollout of elections equipment in U.S. history is happening in Georgia. We have been working since the pandemic hit. A disaster in Georgia. This is very unprecedented and I can't, I've been doing this 20 years and I can't wrap my head around everything that needs to be done right now. Politically, in the weeks leading up to the 2020 election, Georgia was shaping up to be one of the must-win states for both Joe Biden and Donald Trump, with a flurry of visits by the candidates in the closing days. And today, I'm here at Warm Springs because I want to talk about how we're going to heal our nation. Well, thank you very much. Hello, Georgia. Hello, Georgia. Two days. Can you believe it? Two days. Trump had been sowing the seeds of doubt about voting by mail and foreshadowing what would ultimately be a failed coup attempt following his November 2020 defeat. The state remained in the headlines for its long lines to vote in issues with machines that had voters and elections officials concerned for Election Day. Tired but determined, Georgia voters waited in long lines again today to make sure their voices and votes are counted. Hey, I'm John Glover. I got a birthday coming up and I'll be 72 this month. I have voted every election and I never had to stand in line this long, but it's worth the while. 
I'm, I'm prepared to stand eight hours if I have to. And President Biden's victory in Georgia and other swing states gave way to different concerns as Trump and his allies in the GOP sought to actively overturn the election results by pushing false, misleading, and sometimes dangerous claims of fraud. I've lost my name and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security. All because a group of people starting with number 45 and his ally, Rudy Giuliani, decided to scapegoat me and my daughter, Shay, to push their own lies about how the presidential election was stolen. The weekend before Congress met to certify the Electoral College results, Trump took the unprecedented step in a now infamous call of pressuring Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to toss out the state's results and declare him the winner. All I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have, because we won the state and flipping the state is a great testament to our country. Just a few days later, thousands of Trump's most vocal supporters, egged on by lawmakers like Georgia's Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jody Heiss, descended upon Washington, broke into the Capitol, and tried unsuccessfully to overthrow the government. Nearly two years later, the fallout from the January 6th insurrection attempt has spread across many facets of American politics and the midterm elections, but here in Georgia, an equally large change took place in the state legislature. Senate Bill 202 is a massive omnibus voting bill that runs 98 pages and altered virtually every aspect of casting a ballot in Georgia, from overhauling access to absentee ballots and curbing dropbox usage to requiring quicker vote counting and, rather consequentially, shortening the runoff period from nine weeks to four. Elections officials, already exhausted and worried after death threats and high turnover after the 2020 presidential race, were less than excited. The state of Georgia is at a point of crisis. The level of institutional knowledge that we're losing because of the state either directly or indirectly with not defending election workers is uh, creating an atmosphere of mistrust, not just around the elections process, but around elections uh, workers themselves. At a 2021 elections conference on Jekyll Island, I spoke with countless local elections officials like Douglas County's Milton Kidd, who were concerned about the wide reach of the election law, Republican lawmakers' lack of understanding about how the voting process works, and, in a bit of foreshadowing we'll get to later, expressed hesitation that it might be too much too soon. Those changes were further exacerbated by redistricting, the once-a-decade process of redrawing political boundary lines. In the previous 10 years, Georgia's population has grown larger, younger, and more diverse, and we travel to town halls across the state to hear people's pleas for the new maps. Like my ancestors, we are the gatekeepers for this next generation. Change is coming. Equality is coming. We must work together to represent the diverse history of Georgia and its evolving future so that it includes every Georgian's American dream. Ultimately, Republicans in the legislature drew maps that retained their majorities and gave Democrats more seats everywhere except for the U.S. House, with Democrats Lucy McBath and Carolyn Bordeaux pitted in a member-versus-member primary representing mainly Gwinnett County 
and opening the door for a new GOP congressman in the 6th district running north through Atlanta's suburbs. This cycle was also the first redistricting where Georgia and other jurisdictions with a history of racial discrimination and voting laws did not have to get changes pre-approved by the federal government. All the while, Georgia's politicos looked ahead to the 2022 primaries and general election, where Democrats were hopeful that Trump's obsession with a state could leave an opening for them to flip statewide races, like this September 2021 rally in Perry, where a slate of pro-Trump primary challengers was beginning to take hold. This is the greatest movement in the history of our country, perhaps the greatest movement in any country, and we're going to make sure that we see it to the end. Our country will be stronger than ever before. We'll be right back after this quick break, and when we return, we look back at 2022 and how the midterms, plus yet another Senate runoff, has set the stage for Georgia to take on a bigger role in America's political future. This is Battleground Ballot Box. I'm Stephen Fowler, and we're discussing Georgia's elevated place in the country's political scene after the 2022 election cycle. Before the break, we ended with a voice and figure that has dominated the United States since 2015, but lately has evolved into potentially a has-been hero, Donald Trump. When his attempts to overturn the election in Georgia didn't work, he set his sights on punishing those who didn't commit crimes for him by meddling in the 2022 primaries, especially against incumbent Governor Brian Kemp. Trump turned heads at the 2021 rally in Perry by arguing that Democrat Stacey Abrams might be better than Brian Kemp solely because Kemp certified the election results. Of course, having her, I think, might be better than having your existing governor, if you want to know the might, might very well be better. Over the next few months, a group of far-right Republicans emerged that earned Trump's endorsement and largely lined up to challenge popular incumbents deemed disloyal to the former president, ranging from relative unknowns like Attorney General candidate John Gordon and Patrick Witt running for insurance commissioner to David Perdue, the former U.S. senator who lost in the January 2021 runoffs. Only former football star Herschel Walker and self-funded state senator Burt Jones won their primaries for Senate and Lieutenant Governor, respectively, as Republican voters and some Democratic crossovers decisively rejected the election denier slate to represent them in November. Purdue lost the runoff in 2021 in part because Trump's fraud claims kept Republican voters home. In 2022, he half-heartedly embraced those fraud claims and said the only way to unify the GOP was to divide it further by challenging Kemp. I'm David Perdue. I'm running for governor to make sure Stacey Abrams is never governor of Georgia. Make no mistake, Abrams will smile, lie, and cheat to transform Georgia into her radical vision of a state that would look more like California or New York. To fight back, we simply have to be united. Unfortunately, today, we are divided, and Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger are to blame. Hindsight is 2020. Purdue suffered a massive defeat, losing 74-22 to to Kemp in the primary, and the governor romped over Democrat Stacey Abrams, defeating her by a 7.5-point margin. 
But at the time, Purdue and Congressman Jody Heiss, who was challenging Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, were banking on saying yes to the influence of Donald Trump was more worth it than voters potentially saying no, which they did resoundingly. Before the primary, in commerce, at what is the smallest Trump rally I've ever covered in the state, Jones, the lieutenant governor candidate, explained the stakes of primary voters not selecting pro-Trump challengers. It will set the stage for 24 because all eyes will be on Georgia this year. And if we don't, if we don't win big, if we don't have a red wave, then it, does, it doesn't play well for us to put Donald Trump back in the White House in 2024. Fast forward to today, and Burt Jones is the only Trump-backed candidate to win, and it remains to be seen what the former president's chances will be in 2024 now that he's announced his third campaign. Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info Another factor that will weigh heavily on the next two years is Trump's potential legal peril, both in Georgia and elsewhere. In Fulton County, there is a special purpose grand jury assisting District Attorney Fonnie Willis to determine what, if any, laws were broken in the sustained pressure campaign to undo Trump's election defeat in 2020. In Washington, the House committee investigating January 6th held hearings over the summer detailing what their inquiry found, including several high-profile witnesses from Georgia like Fulton County elections worker Ruby Freeman, who faced death threats and more after Trump and his allies falsely accused her of committing fraud. I've lost my name and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security. All because a group of people starting with number 45 and his ally, Rudy Giuliani, decided to scapegoat me and my daughter Shay to push their own lies about how the presidential election was stolen. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger was part of a cadre of primarily Republican witnesses and officials who gave bipartisan credibility to the argument that what the former president did was wrong and that there was no widespread fraud. I've been traveling through the state of Georgia for a year now, and uh, simply put, in a nutshell, what happened in fall of 2020 is that 28,000 Georgians skipped the presidential race, and yet they voted down ballot in other races. And the Republican congressman ended up getting 33,000 more votes than President Trump. And that's why President Trump came up short. The January 6th hearings and Trump's attack on democracy wasn't the only bombshell that rocked the political landscape this summer. The Supreme Court's ruling in the Dobbs v. Jackson case upended decades of precedent and sent control over abortion laws back to the states. For Georgia, that meant 2019's HB 481 would become the law of the land once it cleared the courts. Here's the message from Kwajalein Jackson with the Feminist Women's Health Center in Atlanta at the time. As of today, abortion is still legal and accessible in Georgia. So we want to encourage people to keep their appointments. Um, and if they are in need of services, to continue to connect with providers um, and funds. The ruling sent shockwaves through Georgia politics as Democrats saw an opening to paint incumbent Republicans as too extreme for a diversifying swing state. And Republicans saw a major policy victory that could motivate their voters to head to the polls. 
two marquee races topped the ticket in Georgia. The gubernatorial rematch between Kemp and Abrams, and the Senate race between incumbent Democrat Raphael Warnock and Trump-backed Herschel Walker. In the governor's race, Kemp's message never changed from when he was attacked by the right flank of the party before the primary. He reopened the state from COVID restrictions earlier than any other state as part of guiding Georgia's prosperous economy and used a record budget surplus to give money back to taxpayers. This team has put our state on a path to greater economic opportunity for all who call the Peach State home. We brought good-paying jobs to every corner of Georgia, landed the largest economic development deals in our state's history, passed the biggest income tax cut on record, and kept government out of your way and out of your pocket. Abrams, after falling short by about 55,000 votes in 2018, tried to create daylight with the governor by arguing that, yes, there should be tax refunds, but that the governor did not do enough for rural Georgia and the surplus should be reinvested in other state programs. For the past 20 years, Georgians have been trained to believe that we can't afford to do what's right that solving the big problems and making bold choices won't work. But when we have been bold, when we have been brave, we have been the best. Here's what Emory political science professor Andra Gillespie told me at the time about how voters would likely be more aligned with Kemp's view of the economy than Abrams. For example, if someone's unemployed, but the overall economy is doing well, they might not blame elected officials. Similarly, you could be doing well economically, right? And you might be able to afford and withstand the high gas prices and the high food prices, but you are very much aware that people are hurting in your community. And so if you see that happening, you still may take a very negative view of the people who are in power, um, particularly the president um, of, of the United States. And that's probably not gonna work well with the president if, if he's running for reelection. Support for the governor's COVID policies and economic plans are among the many reasons he resoundingly defeated Abrams, along with his refusal to bow to Donald Trump's wishes to reverse 2020. But the Senate race had a different dynamic. After narrowly winning the 2021 runoff, incumbent Democrat Raphael Warnock was consistently rated one of the most vulnerable senators on the ballot. But his opponent was Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker graduated from the University of Georgia. Also false. This morning, a new report about the woman who accuses Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker of paying for her abortion. So all that bad air is still there. But since we don't control the air, our good air decided to float over to China. Bad air. <laughs> the former Heisman Trophy winner and University of Georgia football standout had no political experience before launching his campaign and lived in Texas for several years leading up to the 2022 election. His campaign was constantly fighting to get his message out on top of a never-ending torrent of coverage about lies Walker told about his past, nonsensical statements that showed little grasp of public policy, and damning revelations about alleged secret children and pressuring ex-girlfriends to have abortions. And his message, repeated frequently by high-profile surrogates who gladly joined him on the trail and on Fox News, boiled down to, vote for me, I'm a celebrity and a Republican. They know that Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker is going to help build a Republican majority in the United States Senate. And they know that Herschel Walker will be a leader in the Senate, just like he's been a leader in sports and in business for the state of Georgia. 
Walker's campaign largely avoided interacting with anybody but the friendliest right-wing media and had often antagonistic relationships with journalists that did cover the campaign. Then there was the great debate debate. After Warnock accepted three debates in Atlanta, Macon, and Savannah, Walker refused to acknowledge those requests and instead accepted a fourth debate in Savannah, then claimed Warnock wouldn't debate him. When the two did face off on the same stage, Walker went viral for pulling out a prop law enforcement badge to falsely claim he was a police officer after Warnock attacked Walker for previous statements. One thing I have not done, I've never pretended to be a police officer <laughs> and, and, and I've, never, I've never threatened a shootout with the police. By now, you know that the presence of a third-party candidate and Walker's weaknesses forced the election into a runoff, with Warnock getting the most votes in November. Roughly 1 in 10 Republicans who supported Governor Brian Kemp voted for somebody other than Herschel Walker, including a sizable number that backed Senator Warnock. In the four-week sprint to the finish, campaigns continued to flood a weary electorate with advertisements, mailers, and door knockers to show up one final time with a particular interest in targeting those split-ticket voters. Just based on the character, the, the, the interviews we've had, the type of stuff that Herschel Walker says, I'm of the opinion he'll say pretty much anything to get elected. Warnock spent the runoff much like he spent the general, touting his work in Congress so far around lowering health care costs, painting himself as a bipartisan moderate willing to work with anyone if it helped Georgians, and arguing the race was about... Character and competence. Walker also spent much of the runoff like the general, focusing on far-right culture war issues like transgender women competing in sports, attacking the use of pronouns, and catering to an older, whiter Republican base that failed to get enough votes in the general. And of course, there were viral moments of nonsense that reiterated to some why he was not ready to be a U.S. senator. The other night I was watching this movie, I was watching this movie called Fright Night, Sweet Night, or sometimes tonight, but it was about vampires. I don't know if you know vampires are cool people, are they not? But I'm telling you something that I found out. A werewolf can kill a vampire, did you know that? I never knew that, so I didn't want to be a vampire anymore, I wanted to be a werewolf. On the election administration front, that sprint was compounded by local officials trying to wrap up the general election, including a statewide audit of the Secretary of State race, while preparing for the shorter runoff. It brought moments of levity, like rolling of Dungeons & Dragons-style dice to seat a computer algorithm that guided the audit. No whammies, no whammies. One. The number is one and stress as the new voting law put even more pressure on elections offices to move mountains with fewer staff, less time, and, as we discovered, a crush of people shifting to in-person early voting. Decision 2022 officially begins its overtime period today. As several counties across the state opened up polling locations, this was the scene at Northside Libraries. Folks lined up to vote in the state's runoff race. Speaking of early voting, one of the major developments for the runoff was a lawsuit filed by Democrats, including Senator Warnock's campaign, over early voting access. At issue, state law requires only five mandatory days of early voting for the runoff, allowing optional days if counties are ready beforehand. But the state said a different state law barred early voting if it was the Saturday after a state holiday. A judge disagreed, the state appealed and lost, and then Republican groups unsuccessfully tried to get the Georgia Supreme Court to block Saturday voting. 
Ultimately, we should note, nearly as many people showed up during that optional Saturday in mainly urban Democrat-heavy counties as the final margin of victory, so it's quite possible Republicans fighting extra access hurt them at the polls. Georgia set records for in-person early voting several days during that five-day mandatory window and even had a whopping 1.6 million people show up on Election Day. But the avalanche of voters did not help Herschel Walker. In fact, Warnock improved upon his margins in all but about a dozen or so of Georgia's 159 counties to win by nearly 3%. And on election night, the watch parties in Atlanta had totally different moods. I see behind you people celebrating that CNN has projected Raphael Warnock will be reelected to his first full six-year term, Eva. Yes, uh, Jake, uh, obviously it's exuberant in here tonight, and this is what uh, Democrats have been telling me all evening, that this really solidifies Georgia as a true battleground state. Herschel Walker conceded the race. So I want to thank all of you as well, because there's no excuses in life. And I'm not going to make any excuses now because we put up one heck of a fight. And I said, that's what, that's what we got to do. Because this is much bigger. This is much bigger than Herschel Walker. And Warnock declared victory. It is my honor to utter the four most powerful words ever spoken in a democracy. The people have spoken. While arguing, this race was always much bigger than who would serve Georgia for the next six years. I am Georgia. I am, I am an example and an iteration of its history, of its pain and its promise, of the brutality and the possibility but because this is America, and because we always have a path to make our country greater against, against unspeakable odds, here we stand together. Thank you, Georgia. So here we are at the end of what seemed like a never-ending election cycle, and Georgia is still at the center of American politics. Heading into the next two years of Congress, it has two Democratic senators that will continue to play an outsized role in legislation shaped by the party's narrow majority and five Democrats in the House. Nine Republican House members, ranging from Rich McCormick, who flipped a seat through redistricting and is part of the GOP's narrow majority in that chamber, to Marjorie Taylor Greene, a far-right figure who could have increased prominence in the party's future. The direction of both political parties will wind its path through Georgia, too. Democrats could hold their 2024 convention in Atlanta and want to elevate the state to one of the earlier presidential primary contests, as its demographic diversity and battleground status can make or break who holds the White House. Republicans have fresh election data to show where there is a path forward to win elections and court independence without fully embracing Trumpism after multiple years of defeats. And the state's growing population and thriving economy, plus the good and bad of its civil rights history, is making it a powerhouse of the South that will continue to see its influence grow as we continue to discuss who we vote for and how those votes are counted.
As we close the book on the 2022 election cycle, we'll also close the book on this podcast, though you should expect special episodes in the future when there are big topics that need a little bit more depth and explanation. In the meantime, you can follow all of GPB's political coverage on the air and on our website at gpb.org politics. Battleground Ballot Box is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. Many thanks to the team who's made this show happen over the last two years. Josephine Bennett is our editor. Jake Cook is our engineer. Jesse Neiswanger wrote our theme music. Special thanks to Mary Lynn Ryan, Sandy Malcolm, Adam Woodliffe, Taya Ryan, and those who have had a hand in this podcast from its inception. You can find every episode of this program on our website at gpb.org battleground or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find all the rest of GPB's stellar statewide coverage on the radio and at gpb.org. I'm Stephen Fowler. Thanks for listening and your support. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.